I am so glad that many of you around the world are watching online right now because you are looking at one amped up preacher today. I am excited. I got some good reasons to be excited today. One reason I'm excited is because I got my bridge back. I am so thankful for that. It's still not as good as it's going to be when they open all the ramps, but at least for people like me that live in Keller to come across that bridge this morning and not mess with all the hellishness of roof snow intersection was a blessing. I'm also excited because today is Fall Back Sunday. Fall Back Sunday outside of Easter is the favorite Sunday of preachers. Here's why. Because we don't want to be frustrated, but you know those people that come every single Sunday 15 minutes late. And you're thinking, why can't you get this figured out every week? They're 15 minutes late, except Fall Back Sunday. And they have one extra hour, and because of that, they're only 10 minutes late. And I love that. But the main reason I'm excited is because we come to... Maybe my favorite text in Scripture. I have loved going through Romans 8. But we've saved the best for last. Now some people would say that Romans is the most important book in the Bible. Most people would say that chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the book of Romans. And almost everybody would say That the last verses of Romans 8 are the best of all. I don't often ask you to do this, but today, in honor of God's Word, would you stand while I read? Starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I want you to read the rest with me, okay? Out loud, here we go. For I am convinced, oh wait, that was pitiful. (laughs) I know you can do better than that because you had an extra hour of sleep. Come on. For I am convinced, say that one more time. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you give it up for the Word of God? Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, if you were going to ask me, in one word, what was the theme of Romans 8, I would either pick assurance or confidence. Because it seems what Paul is driving home after that chapter 7 of wrestling with the fact that we're just not who we want to be. That we have assurance in Jesus Christ of our status with God. He starts out by saying, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And no means no. And he goes on to say, we don't have a relationship with God like a slave who is in fear of his master. 
But we are sons and daughters filled with the Spirit of God so that we can pray, Abba, Father. And we need to pray because the world is full of lots of pain and a lot of groaning going on. But even when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is translating our groans to the Father for us, even as Jesus in heaven is interceding for us. And God is behind it all, working everything out for our eternal good so that we will be glorified and put on display for all creation forever to the praise of His glory. Now, Paul wants you to believe this. And so for eight weeks, we have gone through Romans 8. Here's the question I want to ask. Has Romans 8 gone through us? Or to put it another way, have I moved from I feel condemned to I am convinced Has there been movement in your heart and in your spiritual life from that spirit of condemnation to greater confidence and security in God? Because it's easier to assent to theological truth in the head than it is to embrace it in the heart. And I know in the head, you agree with everything you've heard as we have gone through Romans 8. But has Romans 8 gone through your heart? So that you no longer find yourself drifting back into that prison of the spirit of condemnation. Because evidence abounds that it is a hard prison to leave behind. One proof is our constant drift toward man-centered religion. And the appeal of man-centered religion is the false belief that it will provide me with enough to do to convince God that he should be okay with me. So let me ask you a question. When someone says, how can you know that you are saved? Do you answer in the first person Or the third person? Do you answer, I know I'm saved because I... Or because Jesus. Because as long as you are answering in the first person, you're going to have a hard time getting out of that prison. I read about a pastor recently that had this uh, desire to raise money for a hundred orphans. And so... He decided he would get sponsors to support him as he ran 100 miles. And the last 26 miles were going to be the Chicago Marathon. Now, he was an experienced marathoner. But he didn't give his body time to recover. So he ran that 76 miles. And then the night before the marathon, he's not feeling very good. But he's got to go ahead and run for those orphans, not realizing his kidneys are beginning to fail. So he finishes the race. And immediately they take him to the medical tent And then to the hospital where he spent the next two weeks in ICU. Now he survived. But writing about it later, he admits it wasn't really the orphans that were driving me. It was my addiction to performance. 
And when I stand before God, he's probably going to say, what were you thinking? I never asked you to do that. And how many of you have been killing yourself spiritually? Trying to please a God with a list of rules he never even asked you to keep. Because of the spirit of condemnation. I'll give you another evidence that prison's hard to get out of. How do you react when devastating things happen? We live in a fallen world. Paul says there's a lot of groaning going on. So when something devastating happens in your life, what's your first thought? You that are fans of the NFL might remember last Sunday, a tight end for the Green Bay Packers, his name is Jermichael Finley, suffered a serious injury. You can see in that first picture, he catches a ball and he's just about to get hit in the head. He is, collapses to the ground, immediately he lost feeling. He could not move his limbs or his body. He could not breathe. They put him on a stretcher, they took him to the hospital. Now the good news is, feeling has returned, he's not paralyzed, he's okay. What was interesting was on Monday, he was being interviewed by Sports Illustrated, and he was asked, what was your first thought when you realized you could not move? And he said, my first thought was, is God punishing me? Because he knows in his past, there are some things he's not proud of. You ever done that? You ever gone through something devastating in life and just wondered, is this payback? Is God letting me have it? Because I deserve it. See what I mean about that prison? It's hard to escape. And I'm not sure you'll ever escape it as long as deliverance depends on you. As long as it depends on you doing more good things or stop doing enough bad things. Paul says, here's the key to freedom. It is to become convinced of the greatness of the love of God. And it is a conviction that is grounded in history. Three chapters earlier, Paul said that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, It wasn't our nature that prompted God. It was His nature. 1 John 3, 16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up His life for us. You see, this love was totally self-initiated. I can trust it because it's not based on my character. It's based on His character. But this requires a total transformation of the way I think about love. Because in my life, I've never experienced completely unconditional love with anybody. And you haven't either. In all of our relationships, there is something in us that somebody is finding lovely. That causes them to invest in us at all. I I can't even fathom a love that's totally self-initiated, that is completely independent of anything in me coming to me. And that's why it actually takes illumination from God to trust the affection of God. In other words, 
It takes the help of God to believe in the love of God. If you want to escape that prison, you need to start praying. God, give me a breakthrough. Help me understand your love. You might want to pray what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. That you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. How wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. This was the essence of who Paul was. His life was grounded. His life was secured. His life was motivated in his absolute conviction that God's love was always there for him. And so when he says nothing can separate you from the love of God, he's not talking hypothetically. He's not in a classroom writing principles on a chalkboard. He's coming out of his life experience. This man got beat by rods three times. He got whipped By lashes. Five times. He got stoned one time. So severely they thought he was dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. When you go to a new town. You check out the restaurants. And the hotels. When Paul went to a new town. He checked out the prisons. Because he was going to wind up there sooner or later. When Paul says. There is nothing. That can separate you. From the love of God. He's not just talking with his head. It's coming from his heart. Because the cross. Had crossed out. All doubt. About the love of God. God had proved his love. He had proved that his love. Never. Fails. And I think one reason we struggle to comprehend this is because, let's be honest, we tend to treat relationships as agreements or exchanges between two parties. I invest in you and you invest in me because we both believe we're going to get something back. Follow me. You go to a cell phone store. You want a cell phone? They want your money. You sign a contract. That contract says they're going to give you certain services for texting and calls and apps. And you're going to give them a certain amount of money. Now, if they don't provide those services and you get a bill, you're not going to pay it. If they provide those services and you don't pay, they're going to stop. And the contract is going to get broken. And that's how we understand relationships. The thing is, God's love is not contractual. It is covenantal. In other words, God says, this is how I'm going to treat you, regardless of how you treat me. Friday night, I had the privilege of watching Mike Washburn marry Connie Rasko. And they said their vows to each other. And I never once heard, I exchange. 
I barter. I will if you will. I heard, I promise. I commit. I pledge. I vow. Side note. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that Christian marriage was God's chosen metaphor to communicate to the world the fidelity of his love. God's hope was that he could show the world how he loves by saying, look at that Christian man and look at that Christian woman. They never break up and I'll never break up with you. Sadly, the enemy has destroyed that metaphor today. But what God wants the world to know is I don't love you if... I love you even if. You can't do anything to make God love you more than he loves you right now. You can't do anything to make him love you less. You might need to make some changes. But it's not going to change how God feels about you. Jack Benny, and everybody under 40 asked somebody older, who was Jack Benny? <laughs> when he was a young man, saw a young woman he was attracted to, but he was a shy guy. So he bought her a rose and had it sent to her. The next day he did the same thing, and the next day. And so, curiosity aroused, she called the florist and said, who is sending me these roses? Got the name, went to him, and said, why are you sending me roses? He said, because I'm too nervous to ask you out. Well, they went out, and they went out again, and they got married. And they stayed married for decades. And every day, she got a rose. And then he died. And that first week after, and the second week after, and the third week after the funeral, she kept getting a rose. So she called the florist and said, you must not have heard That my husband passed away so you can stop sending flowers. He said, no ma'am. Your husband made provision before he died. That you were to get a rose every day for the rest of your life. The Bible says, the mountains and the hills may crumble. But my love for you will never end. And let me tell you, in every life, things crumble. Paul doesn't say God's love will separate you from hardship and trial. Think about it. How can you be more than a conqueror if there's nothing to conquer? He does not say God's love will separate you from hardship and trial. He says, there is no hardship or trial that could ever separate you from the love of God. Notice that little word, in. In all these things. We are more than conquerors. Because in all these things, we still experience the love of God. In life and death. Death seems like the great separator. The body and soul are separated. Loved ones are separated. Paul says, even death cannot separate you from the love of God. Love of God will not rescue you from death. 
The love of God will raise you from death. And in the moment that you die, do you realize in the very moment you die, you are going to have a more full understanding of how much God loves you than you've ever had? And spiritual warfare cannot separate you from the love of God. There are angels and there are demons. And they are real. And they care about you very much for completely different reasons. And demons are trying to convince you that God has abandoned you. But God's love in Jesus Christ is more convincing. Paul says time cannot separate you from the love of God. Not past, not present, not future. Can it ever change how God feels about you? God is not going to discover anything that you ever did and say, whoa, I didn't know that. There is nothing that could ever happen in your future that is going to surprise God and make him say, well, I guess I got to take my promise back. Space cannot separate you from the love of God. Not height, not depth. You can't go anywhere in God's universe that is outside the reach of God's love. As the psalmist said, his unfailing love fills the earth. Paul says, not life, not death, not angel, not demon, not height, not depth, not present, not past, not future. And then he just goes poetic and says, now I don't know what else is left, but I'm just going to put it in the box. Not anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And you know that in your head. But when is it going to get here? In your heart. And so, several years ago, I read a story about this boy that lives in Florida. And out behind his house, there was a small lake. It was a hot summer day. He decides to go for a swim, takes off his shoes, his shirts, jumps in. His mom's looking out the back window. And she notices a log starting to float toward him. But it wasn't a log. And she runs out of the house and screams for him to swim to the shore. And he starts to swim. And just as he gets there, the alligator got him. And grabbed his legs. And his mother grabbed his arms. And a terrible tug of war took place. The alligator had more strength. The mom had more passion. And for what seemed like an eternity. They wrestled. And a farmer came by in his pickup. Saw what was happening. Got his gun. Shot the alligator. The boy was rushed to the hospital. Where he stayed several months. And then when he got to come home. Local journalists wanted to do a story. And they were interviewing him. And at one point they said, could we see your scars? And he rolled up his pants leg and there were the permanent scars that will always be there. But then he rolled up his sleeves. And there were the scars of the fingernails of his mother. Who would not let go. And some of you bear the scars of God. He will never disown you, but he will discipline you to pull you away from an enemy that wants to destroy you. And nothing will cause this God to let go of the child 
that he loves. David knew about messing up. But he would write songs. And one of his most popular lines in many of his songs was this one. Oh God, I trust in your unfailing love. That wasn't just in David's head. That was in his heart. And because he knew God's love never fails, he found out that God's love always fills. See, because of this spirit of condemnation, how many of us have spent too much of our life looking for love in all the wrong places? Because we're seeking validation. We're needing somebody to tell us that we matter, that we're significant, that we're worth something. And so we go to these idols that continually let us down. But when God's love becomes your absolute, you don't need a substitute anymore. When you're rooted in the greatness of His love, you don't need props anymore to stand strong. You don't need to conform to the expectations You don't have to change your ethics. You don't have to change your sexuality. You don't have to change your values anymore to get the approval of anybody. Because before you got out of bed today, you were already the beloved and the approved and the blessed of God. You don't have to kill yourself chasing stuff thinking if I just get enough valuables, somebody will think I have value. Because the love of God will forever Repudiate the lie that your worth is somehow connected to your net worth. When you're grounded in the love of God, you stop getting your identity from your performance or your appearance. But that decision to trust His love you got to remake it every day or you'll drift back to that prison. I think that's what the brother of Jesus meant in Jude 21. Keep yourselves in God's love. Now, he doesn't mean you can go somewhere and get outside the love of God. What he means is you keep your identity. You keep your security. You keep your assurance in the conviction of God's love for you. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you again. You went through Romans 8 with me. But did Romans 8 go through you? Have you made any movement from I feel condemned to I am convinced? One of the most brilliant writers of our generation is Maya Angelou. She said as a young woman, she went to San Francisco and she was determined to be sophisticated. And she found out to be sophisticated, you have to be agnostic. So she became an agnostic. And she was taking voice lessons. And her teacher asked her to read something. And the last sentence was, God loves me. 
And she finished, and the teacher said, read that last sentence again. So rather sarcastically, God loves me. And the teacher said, read it again. And I want to read her own words. After about the seventh repetition, I began to sense there might be some truth in this statement. That there was a possibility that God really loves me, Maya Angelou. I suddenly began to cry at the grandness of it all. I knew if God loved me, I could do wonderful things. I could do great things. I could learn anything. I could achieve anything. For what could stand against me with God? Since one person, any person, with God form a majority now. You see, God's love never changes. But you'll change when you become convinced. Because you see, no separation means no intimidation. That's our big problem. The most frequent command in the whole Bible is don't be afraid. We're afraid of what people are going to think of us. We're afraid of the next doctor's report. We're afraid of what the stocks are going to do. But courage comes from being able to trust something that's never going to fail. You know, it takes a certain boldness to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know that, don't you? If you're going to follow in the way of Jesus, you can be a coward. Cross-carrying is not for wimps. To follow Jesus is to risk. But on the far side of risk is the confidence that God's love is still holding us. And so we don't have to live in the tyranny of timidity. Because if the gospel is true, what do we have to be afraid of? And so I love learning last spring about a basketball team that made the NCAA final tournament, the big dance they call it, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Their coach, Scott Nagy, is a believer. They've adopted a son from Haiti. He does a lot of work with orphans. But what got him national attention was his coaching philosophy. His team's motto is play like you're loved. You see, Coach Nagy believes no child, no young person should ever think that somehow their perfection determines affection. And so he coaches his team to play like they're loved. So they've got their big conference final game. And if they win this game, they get to go to the big dance. And here was his speech to his team before the game. I want you to play like you're loved. Play freely. Love isn't dependent on your performance. No matter how you play, you are loved. So play with that 
in mind. You see, I know the great commandment is to love God. But I think the best way to love God is to live like you're loved. So play like you're loved. And work like you're loved. And go to bed like you're loved. And get out of bed like you're loved. And parent like you're loved. And dance. Yes, I said it. Dance like you're loved. Because to live loved is greatness. And because it takes the help of God to believe in the love of God. I'm going to pray for you right now. So, Father, I'm asking right now for divine illumination over everyone that hears my voice. That they get spiritual help from heaven to have a breakthrough in their understanding of your faithful love. God, I just believe somebody right now is listening to my voice. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're online. Maybe they're listening later on a podcast. But they're in a prison. And I want them to have freedom, God. So I'm asking that somehow they will, in this moment, hear you in their heart say to them, Child, child, listen to me. I love you. I can't stop thinking about you. I've got this big party planned and I've already got your name plate at the table. I sent my own son just to make sure you'd be there. Oh child, live loved. That's what your father wants for you. Oh God, take it from our head to our heart, for Jesus' sake, amen. Would you all stand up? And we're going to have a team of prayer warriors down here at the front, because some of you need to do some business with God. You want to break free, you want to move toward being convinced, and you need more prayer. Paul said, nothing can separate anyone from the love of God in Christ Jesus God's love is in Christ Jesus and you need to be in Christ Jesus and if you're not sure you are come talk to us let's sing